The founder of Social Pantry, Alex Head, was my guest this week. Social Pantry is a catering business and is, oh my goodness, I, I had I, I was having heart palpitations listening to what they actually pull off in a week as someone who cannot cook. And the idea of cooking for someone and actually serving a dish, uh, I'd rather, as I said, pull out my eyelashes. But Alex was enlightening and I love what Alex has built a catering company that does good by now having a part of her workforce being ex-offenders. She gives people a second chance and believes that we should all do that, where a kitchen is a lifeline for those who need help, need support and need to blossom. The ethics and this wonderful mix, like a recipe of doing good for people, sustainability, running a business, a female-founded business, changing up an industry. It has all of these wonderful, I want to say flavours, I'm, I'm getting too into it, but Alex is incredible and Social Pantry is a real inspiration for all of us to take whatever we're doing and turn it on its head, do something different, bring your heart and soul into what you're building and then see what happens. Enjoy. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down Where we're going you won't need to bring your frown Hi, I'm Holly Tucker and welcome to my podcast Conversations of Inspiration I founded my first business, Not on the High Street, at 28 with a newborn strapped to my chest Nearly 20 years on, he's all grown up and I'm running my second business, Holly & Co., I've learned so much about taking risks, running a business and some extraordinary life lessons along the way. And I know others have too. Yet despite the wealth of experience we have between us, lessons like this are often left unheard and it can feel like we're traveling our paths alone. So I've reached out to founders and those who simply inspire me to share their hard earned wisdom with you. My hope is that collectively, these remarkable realisations will help you on your own journey. I like to think of it as inspiration for life. If you enjoy this episode, might I ask you to share it with a friend and to like, subscribe and review it so that together we can ignite people's passion across the UK. Now, let's begin this week's Conversation of Inspiration. Hi, Alex. What a pleasure it is to meet you. You are the go-to caterer for any forward-thinking, socially conscious and utterly beautiful events. And you have the most incredible client list. But before we get into all of this, welcome to Conversations of Inspiration. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Holly. I Yeah, I feel so honoured to be asked. I'm, yeah, a big kind of fan of yours. So this is slightly surreal, but uh, yeah. <laughs> We're going to have a great conversation because, I mean, you're, I mean, hello, but you're used to dealing with Rihanna, David Attenborough, <laughs> Prince of Wales. These are some of your clients. And so we've got lots yeah. to talk to you about today. Yes. Um, but can I just get, before we get into what you're doing today. Um, yeah. When I was looking up about your childhood, mm -hmm. I read that you were born in um, Australia and yes. you moved around a lot and you grew up in Saudi Arabia, um, but you were a self-confessed naughty child and you were actually expelled from school. <laughs> I mean, how cool is that? I mean, obviously it's not that you want your kids <laughs> to be expelled from school, yeah. <laughs> but nowadays is what well, that must be quite an interesting dinner party conversation. Tell me about that. Yeah, I think so. Do you know what? And actually kind of yeah I, I suppose writing the letters to myself was kind of um I suppose kind of made me think back on a few things and actually you know some of it looking back is so funny but also I think at the time I think I was just quite kind of boisterous and had lots of energy um and I, I you know I'm sure people can relate like kind of you know classic subjects weren't really for me so I was just quite mischievous and I think finally the teachers kind of had enough and just you know I think just kind of banished me basically for a summer term um yeah I suppose I was just quite naughty um and pushing the boundaries, which, you know, I suppose many entrepreneurs, when I hear their stories, they often haven't kind of conformed or, or been down the usual path. And actually, you know, maybe that's why I kind of ended up being an entrepreneur. But yeah, definitely, definitely had some kind of challenging years, but not for anything other than just being a bit, you know, a bit over energetic, I'd say. 
Was it? Was there a, a moment that um, I, I was nearly expelled as well? I wasn't oh, well, yeah. quite. <laughs> there no, you I go. wasn't <laughs> actually expelled though. But yeah. there was a bit of a mischievous evening with a school swimming pool and a disco, <laughs> yeah. and it all got a bit out of hand. But yeah. you know, all part. But it's all part of our story. Was there yeah. anything specific that there was, was? Yeah, yeah. I think there was one like turning point. I think when I um, we basically like snuck into the kitchen, the like the school kitchen, and kind of I think like some angel whip. Do you remember those desserts that were like yes, yeah, endless yeah. liters of it? Yeah, and we. I think we just had the most ultimate food fight, and it was still one of the best moments. <laughs> it was so funny, <laughs> but also just so naughty that I think they were like kind of that's it. And I think I was probably leading the gang. So yeah. yeah. So kind of now, obviously, I'm sure we'll get onto it. But working with ex-offenders, I kind of think, oh, do you know what? You know, we've all made mistakes. And actually, yeah, looking back, I was probably probably quite hard to kind of manage and, you know, keep in line. But, you know, no, nothing, nothing terrible came of it. We probably call it a bit more spirited these days. Yes, you were very exactly. spirited. Yeah. You You also spent a lot of time. So you've got this one side of you bit mischievous yeah. pushing boundaries but then you also spent a lot of time baking with your mum and your granny as a child yeah. um and that your mum would give you tasks in the key in the kitchen actually to keep you in line do you yeah. think that that was what, what what sort of age was that yes I think kind of growing up I'm one of four children so it was always kind of lots going on and meal times and that was always a really fun time to kind of get around the table and you know we've got lots of cousins and you know, aunties and uncles and family so I think I always kind of you know associated kind of cooking and food with just having a really great time and it always being quite sociable and quite fun and obviously there was always kind of meals to cook and I think mum kind of put me to work in the kitchen really ultimately she kind of yeah really encouraged that kind of hobby but I had two grannies who were really good at entertaining one Irish granny who was quite wacky uh, and my other granny who, who did it all so well with such kind of finesse and everything was beautifully styled and plates were always warmed and it was always done really properly whereas um, yeah the Irish granny was a bit more eclectic I'd say so yes yeah, yeah. so I kind of grew, grew up baking with both and definitely cooking with mum in the kitchen and yeah so from such a young age just started probably you know selling cakes and um, yeah just kind of enjoying being in the kitchen and then managed to make a bit of pocket money out of it and it kind of I suppose well, I was going to ask there. about that because I'd love to hear this story because I know that you were expelled from school and then you realised yeah. that you could make a bit of money by selling sandwiches. Um, am I right in saying that you delivered these on your bike? Where were you? Take, yeah. take yeah, exactly. me back because were you 15 at this time? Exactly. So I, we lived in Saudi um, and went to boarding school in the UK. My dad was working out there and um, he was in the Navy and he was working as part of the embassy. And so when I kind of um, had been expelled for the summer term and they kind of said, don't come back, come back and take your GCSEs and then please just leave permanently. Um, my <laughs> mum was like, well, you need, you need to do something over this summer term. You can't just kind of sit and revise. So I printed out lots of clip art posters. Do you remember clip art? Yeah. yeah back I in the pre-Instagram and pre yeah. even, you know, almost pre the internet. Um, printed out clip art posters and put them up in my dad's office and it was in Saudi you know this is probably the year 2000 or you know a long time ago and yeah. they only had like KFC being delivered in so actually I kind of offered you know three or four different types of sandwiches um and lots of kind of um, inside, it's very male dominated. So lots of wives, the, the men would work in the embassy and the wives are going to make them pack lunches and actually, you know, to prevent them kind of ordering in KFC or having kind of the catering. Yep. So actually, I just provided an alternative. And so I'd just kind of do my work next to the phone and the phone would ring and I'd pick up the orders and then I'd make the sandwiches and jump on my bike and go and deliver them. And it kind of, it went from there. So yeah, I think, um, I mean, yeah, 50, it was quite fun. That's young, isn't it? If yeah. you think about that, that is a really young age to be you know running something so to speak yeah. and 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 the the seed was basically sown because at 18 you undertook a cookery course mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. Ballymaloo, yeah, Ballymaloo, yeah, Ballymaloo so, cooking yeah. school in Ireland, and then you went on to study hospitality um, at Oxford Brookes University. Yeah. What was that? Was that literally was the sandwich the moment that it started that you actually started to see? I I do like catering. I do like food. Yeah, definitely. Like I'd always had a passion for food. Um, and I kind of thought, like, I suppose over that summer term, I kind of made a bit of money and I just was like, oh, this is quite exciting. I then did go back and get some A-levels at, at a different school. Um, so I did, got some A-levels, went on to kind of uni. And I suppose, but always from making the sandwiches, I always had a little bit of a, a business on the side. Like you couldn't really call it a business, but like a pocket money. So mm -hmm. people would say, can you cook some lasagnas for my freezer? Or I'm having a dinner party. Can you come and do some canapes? And it'd be kind of family friends. 
Um, and I just kind of ended up saying yes to everything. Like I remember the ambassador in Saudi was like, can you come and teach my kitchen team some like classic British food? And I was like, yeah, of course. So kind of went in and worked with them for a week. So it was always just, I suppose, always yeah, always kind of earning a little bit of, you know, money on the side. And when I went to Brooks, it was it was great. I did a business course and a hospitality course. But I think the biggest thing that, um, you know, taught me so much was I worked in restaurants. Um, mm-hmm. And I worked in I worked in really tough chef jobs um, in a in a really busy brasserie was the first one that kind of would, you know, four or five hundreds on a Saturday, Saturday night. I kind of did. I, I think I did about That's 30 hours. five hundred covers, is it? Covers. Yeah. So I'd, my gosh. Yeah. And it was really tough. I was the only girl in the kitchen. And because I kind of walked in and you know was at uni I instantly they were like oh she won't last and it just gave me such determination so having done a bit of a cooking school which gives you really good kind of I suppose good grounding yeah a good understanding of like the classic way to do things like that farm to fork kind of how to butcher things and fill it it was, it was really helpful I think actually the like real experience kind of comes from working in restaurants amongst teams at quite a fast pace so when I was at uni it was really helpful but I did work pretty hard I kind of held down a job throughout the whole three years um two of the years in the kitchen and then for the third year I kind of went front of house because I wanted to kind of earn more tips um earn a bit more money and make some tips so I kind of is this at the pizzeria uh no not quite yet so yeah so this yeah. is kind of it was like Jeremy Mogford's kind of chain of like quad in Oxford and then G's. it was some really brilliant restaurants so yeah I suppose I kind of they were the first kind of proper jobs where I was working for other people um and always then still doing a bit of cooking on the side here and there when I needed how to did, how did you fend off um what I can imagine if you were the only girl in the kitchen to a male dominated kitchen and what goes on with 400, 500 covers. Yeah. How, well, how, what was your mindset? What did you, uh, it was, was so it basically you weren't going to be bullied and, and kicked out. Yeah, I think just prove yourself. Like there was one head chef, mm-hmm. actually. I can't, I can't, I think he was called Chris and he was so good. But the rest of them were pretty tough. Like um, they just gave me such a hard time, which now that, oh, there's, so now obviously at Social Pantry, we have like really kind of calm, nurturing kitchens because the anxiety kind of behind going to work was terrifying. Um, and there was just no, it was relentless. There was no let up. The only time you got was having a fag break with them all. Um, and that was mm. so welcomed, you know, fag break and a cup of tea. But it was really tough, like a double shift you were kind of in at seven in the morning, you're out at 2am, you might get half an hour off. Um, I remember actually on my, on my, I do remember like coming up to Christmas, I think it was just before Christmas, they told me I'd earned some holiday pay, but I, 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 nobody had told me about any of that. So I was just working solidly throughout the year. And I was like, well, can I take it now? They're like, no, you, there's no time to take it off. And then I kind of lost it all. And I remember thinking like, <laughs> God, this is so mean. Like there was just kind of, there was no HR culture. Um, you were earning minimum wage and it was tough, but, and I used to at points kind of really dread it. But I think once you've kind of, you know, once you've settled in and proved yourself a little bit, they ease up and they do kind of become a bit more respectful. But it was definitely kind of a really tough, tough environment. And I think, I suppose I just had that real ambition to prove them wrong and that I could do it. Mm. So that determination. Do you think have changed generally since then? Yeah, Yeah, generally. I know yours, but just mm. generally the industry. I've heard that it is, you know, there are such things as HR departments now. Those sorts of things. Yeah, exactly. And there should be like it was, you know, it was so tough and there was just no need for any of that. Like it's a, it's a tough enough industry mm. as it is. So let alone mm. kind of it being, you know, terrifying or fierce or, you know, the, the kind of people swearing at you or like it's just there's just no need for that. It was such bravado and actually like take that away and you've got some really skilled, brilliant people in there. Yes, yeah. So it's yeah. so unnecessary in that bullying culture. But yeah, all sorts of, um, yeah, all sorts would go on. Like I feel like I've kind of, <laughs> kind of seen it all. We could do a whole podcast on yeah, it. Yeah, but yeah, after graduation, and you spent some time cooking for friends, as you were saying, and family mm. and working in a restaurant before the pizzeria you were working in, in went bust. And this was one of those pivotal moments I read that you we sort of talk about on this podcast generally that life just does something or you meet mm. someone or these just yeah. these moments in time. And if you connect the dots, would you say that that was because I know you had like 350 quid in your wallet, not Mm. in your wallet, you only had 350 quid, you're borrowing a friend's laptop, Mm. you know, the door closed, basically. Um, And then that was the moment, was it? Yeah, the other door opened um, philosophically. Yeah, totally. I think that was my opportunity. I've been running a brilliant kind of pub, gastro pub in London. That was great they, they, for these two founders who are brilliant, quite inspiring. Then they opened a place, a, a big city restaurant. And I actually kind of followed a manager there called Ella, who was fantastic. She was, she really kind of nurtured me, actually. Looking back, I've got a lot, you know, to be thankful to her for. 
she kind of took me under my wing, under her wing, sorry. And so that was quite exciting. So I'd kind of done an opening. And then after I'd settled mm-hmm. in there, actually one of the founders went off and did a pizza place. It was a pizza by the slice. Um, oh, yeah. And he kind of said, will you come and open this for me? So it would have, it would, would have been my second opening as a manager. And it was brilliant. It was such a good concept. It was um, forward thinking. It was exciting. And unfortunately, like with some of these restaurants, they just don't work out. And really, unfortunately, he chose a street to kind of locate it just behind kind of like top shop on Oxford Circle. So what was mm-hmm. top shop? And it was just slightly off the beaten track, but I don't think that was the be all and end all. It was the fact that the council had planned some kind of roadwork closures on the pavement. Right. So after kind of three or four months of opening and having quite a good launch, then the customers just, it's as simple as that. They just wouldn't yeah. walk around, around the barrier to come in. We weren't a big enough brand. And, you know, maybe if it was a prep, people would have walked around the barrier to come in because they know what you're all about. But when you're kind of starting, you know, starting out as a concept, it just didn't, didn't survive. So it was then, I was about 26, I think. Um, and it was then that I was like, okay, shall I do, you know, what was then social pan? Or actually it was called Heads and Quails at the time, which is such a bad name. Um, <laughs> so I was like, shall I go full time with this or shall I not? And actually I was like, oh, do you know what? I will. So I rebranded it to Social Pantry and then I waitressed. Um, I waitressed and said yes to every single job that came in. And I remember waitressing, um, and kind of, so I'd been managing all these restaurants and, you know, kind of relatively high up and relatively senior and, you know, had been running these restaurants and doing these openings and then went back to just kind of standard standard you know waitressing where I had to kind of do a couple of trial shifts to really prove myself and obviously could do it but it it just kind of really grounded me um and obviously my aim was to not do it for that long but I suppose that gave me that supported me until I could you know I I suppose earn a living from from social pantry because what you had to come out of a full-time job yeah exactly yeah just get my rent to pay your rent. And so why yeah. why was it called social pantry at that point? I think I can't quite remember. People often ask me this. I think we kind of came up with the name. I suppose I was just kind of like most most founders kind of brainstorming different names and just felt yes. that, that kind of fitted. Um, so yeah, there was nothing kind of, nothing kind of wild behind the decision. Definitely no kind of, <laughs> no marketing agency or helping with anything. <laughs> and that social part that we will talk about wasn't yet part of no, no, the that- fabric, which is just amazing. But what I loved is that you were, you know, this is going back a while now. And if you think about it, you were very, very ahead of your time. You were using language such as zero waste and circular mm-hmm. Um, economy, mm-hmm. you know, really thinking about reshaping the sort of that industry and innovation and food and all of those sorts of things. Why were you feeling that you could go there with these? What, what Was it because you wanted to do something different? Yeah, I think ultimately, because I'd started the business from scratch, I was just kind of living day to day in the business. And so everything was so lean, like you just had no Mm. budget for anything. And actually, sometimes I think the best decisions are made when you've got less budget. I agree. You just have to become so creative. Like there's no, there's no kind of right or wrong way to do it. But I suppose for us, like just nothing would go in the bin. Like there was just no way Mm. that you could lose. So even from the very beginning, you know, the herb stems were being blitzed into a pesto. Um, It was a real zero waste mindset. Um, So absolutely everything was down was you know was down you know I suppose kind of for a budget but also it was trying to get the best quality produce when you're small and starting out definitely I couldn't charge you know couldn't charge the most so you had to get so creative with every aspect of it you had to win the events um which you were Mm -hmm. quoting for so you had to kind of be either creative in kind of your events back or your quoting you had to either kind of undercut the competition um and then obviously your product just has to be really really good so it was trying to kind of work the budget the best in the best way possible and for us it was kind of making sure that every bit of the the brilliant food we were buying from brilliant suppliers was kind of used up. I never thought about this but in your industry you really I mean everyone listening either you know potentially has a business or is thinking about it or just likes the whole stories of entrepreneurs and and things but actually you literally were so you were winning pitches so you were going yeah. out there you were the saleswoman you were yeah. cooking yeah. you were actually doing the making you were serving you were doing yeah. <laughs> you were clearing up <laughs> you were a to Z, weren't you? Mm, yeah, I remember so, somebody um, somebody saying, hi, hi, yeah, can I speak to the accounts team? I was like, absolutely. Like, held the phone away from me for a couple of seconds. I was like, hello, accounts. Like, literally, I was like, I haven't got an accounts team. Like, um, and there was one lady that's like, obviously, you've got insurance. I was like, obviously. And then, uh, you know, I think that was on my kind of second job. And I was like, okay, right. You know, so I literally yes. just, obviously, the EHO kind of came and inspected my home and kitchen. And I, I knew that from kind of restaurants. So that was all yes. fine. 
I would borrow the restaurants kind of through the night. So there were some kitchens up in North London that I'd go to and work through the night. That was really intense. Um, and then I would, yeah, drive, drive, drive the event. Um, I remember kind of buying my first van. Um, that was really exciting. We always used to, it was so long ago now, but we also used to have a little rolly in the front on the way to the event, which is now if I have any of my drivers, you know, we're, we're doing that. Oh, hell would break loose. So yeah, it was, I was kind of just doing everything from, oh, that was it. And before I kind of, had a had a commercial kitchen that I kind of rented a bench in. I would the veg guys would kind of arrive at my house at kind of four a.m. So I had a very long suffering kind of housemate, Kirsty, who's amazing, and she would always kind of go to put her stuff in the fridge, and there'd be no room in there. So um, and the pub down the road, I'd often kind of say, "Hey, can I can I put these big salmon in your fridge, or can I can I use a bit of space in your fridge?" So I'd kind of rent a little, you know, a couple of couple of shelves in their kind of walk in fridges. Um, so oh yeah, it was goodness. so it was so, yeah, and then obviously didn't have it a laptop so. Yeah, it was so basic back in the day. And so intense as well. So hard. Yeah. everything must have just been hard work. It get, it makes me feel quite anxious even talking about it. Yeah. The, how did you get your first clients? So um, I had a few people that would kind of come to me and like a few weddings. Yeah. And actually when it's just you and you don't have many overheads, it's kind of, you know, you you need a, you know, a, couple of, a couple of big events a month or, you know, you need something regular. Yeah. So I had a phone call on a Sunday night and they said, hi, um, we've been given your name by Cake, a lady that made cake. She can't do it, but we're Brentford Football Club and we need somebody to start tomorrow and cater for a week in our training ground. And that was for 50 people. And I said, absolutely, I'll be there tomorrow turned up at this training ground and did the week. Then they said, okay, can you do a month? And I said, yeah, of course. So we did a month. Then they said, can you do the whole season? And I was like, well, what's the season? Then realised the football season was brilliantly long. So I was like, absolutely. And at this point, the numbers were kind of creeping up. Um, then we were providing breakfast for them. I, at this point, had kind of employed somebody. So with this kind of contract. Wow, what, yeah, that's a, what, that was a lifeline contract, yeah, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, 100%. And it was lucrative and it was great. And I had somebody running and ended up with them for five years. And by the end, we were doing seven days a week, um, breakfast, lunch, dinner, takeaway food on the coaches. Like it was really, it was brilliant. And that with that contract, I then managed to rent a bench in a kitchen in Battersea. Um, so rented a little bench there in a commercial kitchen and was part of a much bigger kitchen. Um, and actually, two years ago, I then took it went and took over that whole kitchen. So it's quite nice. That one, yeah, one of my four units is 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 where I used where to rent a bench. Yeah, started. Oh yeah, my many goodness. years ago. Yeah, so it's great. So it's so organic and just built it kind of, you know, added in the layers and, you know, professionalism <laughs> as it grew. What is it about handmade items that just feels so soulful? Is it the fact that they're made to last, I wonder? Or is it that you know someone has poured all they've got into creating them? Or maybe it's that you know they are one of a kind, not mass produced, the finest quality and perfectly imperfect. Because that's our passion at Holly & Co., Our marketplace is a treasure trove of unique finds shining a light on a collective of brilliant founders, or as we call them, our co's, the talented co-munity, putting the co into Holly & Co. I've brought together a movement of creators who champion quality, sustainability and purpose, a marketplace designed to celebrate craftsmanship, craftswomenship, handmade products and that special touch of magic that only makers bring. Something truly creative and colourful in retail that we've never seen before. There is so much to share, but I'll let you discover it for yourself if you already haven't. Find us at holly.co, the home of small business, where you can vote with your money to help preserve crafts, celebrate originality and help people do what they love. Now, back to our conversation of inspiration. So we're going to get to the social, the, the fact that your name now fits so well to what you you do. You've sort of grown into your name, so to speak. But mm. what made you want to give back? Because um, you were introduced to an organisation, Key for Life. Um, they support rehabilitation and communities and ex-offenders. And it was then that you were introduced to Ruben. And this yeah. started this new chapter for the social pantry 
Would you tell us the story about Ruben? Yeah, of course. Love Ruben. So Key for Life, I think it was a friend of mine's mum had said, oh, this is great charity and you can mentor. So I signed up and I met with Eva who runs it and it was quite a new charity at the time. And so I started mentoring. So I was allocated Ruben, who was in ISIS prison um, at the time. And I went to see him in prison. It was my first prison visit and gosh, anxiety through the roof. I was literally, I remember on the drive on the way there, like incredibly anxious, really nervous. Um, and you go through all the checks and all the sliding doors. And if anybody suffers mm. from, from severe anxiety, like going in and in and into a prison is really, is really quite testing. And it's next to Belmarsh, so it's superimposing. Um, and it was just, obviously it's really intimidating going into any prison really. So I went in to see him and I was thinking, gosh, what am I going to talk to him about? And actually, as soon as I met him, like, oh, it was great. It, we instantly kind of chatted. We chatted about giving up smoking. I had just kind of recently given up and he was trying to give up. So we kind of chatted about that. He's got two girls. So we kind of talked about that. And it was it was really lovely. And I kind of came away from a workshop with um, Key for Life, which are an incredible, inspiring charity, and kept in touch with Ruben. So then when he was released from prison, I kind of just was his buddy for a little bit. Um, so we'd meet up and have a coffee or, you know, kind of go to Mackey or, you know, so we'd just kind of hang out for a little bit. And I was just there as a bit of a bit of a sounding board and bit of a friend. Um, but when he, while that was going on, Key for Life asked me if I would employ one of their other prison leavers called Suhail. So I kind of said, yeah, sure, I'll think about it. And I got my team in a room. I probably had about eight employees and I, I just sat them down and I was like, are you guys up for employing, you're working alongside somebody that's been in prison? And they said, yeah, definitely. So then Suhail came in and he did three days a week initially and he was just a bit flaky and I we were working so hard and you know kind of covering that payroll Mm. wasn't simple so I kind of sat him down and I said listen you can either commit and do five days or you can you know you can go somewhere else like we're we're Mm. we're we're, we're not here Mm. for unless you're going to commit and so he then did commit and he did five days a week for I think about four or five years and he was brilliant he kind of went up the ranks and he was fantastic yeah he had previously been at a garden centre and he kind of didn't really love that and then came to Social Pantry and was kind of welcomed in and then like anybody just reacted really well so was it you sitting down with him Mm. that changed that attitude what was it yeah I think so I just said to him, like, don't don't mess this up for want of a better word. Don't mess this up for yeah. me. Like, like I can't pay you unless you come in and do the job. Like, I've, like we're all working really hard. And I want to help. Yeah. And if you don't show up for the day, now we handle um, prison leavers quite differently at Social Pantry. They're like surplus to the rotor. But back in the day, I was like, I, I, mm. you know, if you're like, if you don't turn up, then there's nobody here to do your job. You're making the other team stay longer. This isn't, this isn't, I'll get somebody else because, you know, we're here just to deliver brilliant events. And this is part, you know, this can be one part of what we do, but it's not the be all and end all. So if you're making everybody's life really challenging, that's when any kind of prison leaver individual support stops. So yeah, he just kind of got told to either get on with it and appreciate the opportunity and enjoy, enjoy the opportunity and thrive on it or, 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 or go, go and look for another job. And he obviously responded really well to that. And we've had that conversation with a number of ex-offenders in the past and it gets different reactions. But with Suhail, it, it got a really positive one and our journey kind of was off, I suppose. And and how did that then develop? So where did Ruben come into the Yeah, so then Ruben kind of, he'd gone to kind of Goucher and done a work taster and he kind of, I think was out of work. So he then came and worked with us. Um, and over the years, he's kind of been on and off between, you know, he'll go off and do another job and then he'll kind of come back. But Ruben's kind of, yeah, Ruben and I kind of more than just colleagues for sure. We're like, you know, good friends. Um, and so then we did work tasters and then it, it, I suppose it's developed to the point now where um, prisons will phone and say, I've got somebody coming out. I think they'll be really good for Social Pantry. Will you interview them? Um, or give them a trial and we say absolutely so we say yes to everybody um, with a couple of crimes that we don't don't accept we say yes to everybody that kind of gets in touch it might be their probation it might be prison themselves or it might be through a charity and then it might be where my team have gone in and done a workshop or where we're already involved with the prison so we're now kind of really quite involved so I've got a cafe in Felton Prison where Danny is amazing. Danny's my social pantry team member. Started yep. kind of four or five years ago, started in the marketing department, then turned into, trained as a chef and went away and worked for Michelin Star and then came back. And then he's taking on this kind of charity project. So he's in Felton behind. He goes in every day employed by Social Pantry, not an ex-offender. And then he, behind bars, runs a staff mess where he has four guys who he trains and teaches. And on release, ideally, they then come and work at Social Pantry. So we have one cafe in Felton Prison. And then I'm on the board at Wandsworth Prison. I'm on the employment board. And then 
Sylvia, our HR and culture manager, is linked in with a number of charities, a number of prisons. Um, so we've got a bit of a network now and people will just kind of come directly to us. So, yeah. What was yeah. your, I mean, this is inspiring stuff. What, how <laughs> did you get your head around? I mean, so number one, you went and got involved with this charity. So Key for Life. So there's this, obviously there was something within you wanted to help. Yeah. And but you went down that route. Let's say, you know, you could go and help in lots of different ways, but you went down that route. That was this because and I think about you being a rebellious child and getting yourself stuck into things that maybe you shouldn't have and all these sorts of things. What was it that you how you could see rehabilitation as this positive thing that you could affect? Yeah, I think a number of things. I've always, um, I remember when I was at uni, I would always, there was on a Tuesday, I think in my final year, I'd, I volunteered at Oxford. I found that really rewarding. Like I enjoyed that. Then when I first hit London, I'd feed the homeless every Thursday night with kind of a church in South Kensington. My auntie yeah. kind of said, come along one time. So there was lots of kind of bits going on. I suppose with the with the prison leavers, I'm always quite interested in prisons. I don't know. I think some people can relate to that where it's, it's quite fascinating. But yeah. I, I think having just been a bit naughty, I felt like... Yeah, I, I've been given a number of second chances. And actually, do you know what? We we need to offer second chances as a society. Like with the backstory of some of these guys, um, some of them, it's so, so tough. You know, they've kind of been... Tell, tell b- me b- about b- some of the backstories. Yeah, they've just been born into really difficult environments. Like mm. Some of them have gone care home to care home, prison to prison. And it's just inevitable that they would end up there. But they've often, some of the people we've worked with have often not really got any family set up. They come out, nobody's ever trusted them. They've, they've literally kind of had just the the, the the hardest start in life and actually you know they are brilliant they're charismatic they're quite funny and I often you know I spoke at um, a big bank just before Christmas and I kind of was speaking to this room of you know kind of suited and booted bank I said I challenge any of you to come to prison with me and not think that some of these guys are brilliant and worth helping um, so yeah so mm. I, I suppose I could really relate to that you know I, I, I just had a lot of empathy I just was like god I yeah. can you know I can't even imagine what you guys are facing like I literally can't like you know, it's hard enough to get a job when you've got a computer, access to a phone, access to internet, somewhere to live and a, and a supportive family who might, you know, that can give you the odd meal. Like if you come out of prison and you've got none of that, it, it's just so difficult. And I think trying to break the reoffending cycle is really important. But I was in Clap, I was living, I think, Brixton when the riots happened. And I remember kind of thinking like, oh gosh, you know, this is such a kind of pivotal point. And there was a lot of kind of young guys who that who kind of then went to prison. Um, so some of the guys we were coming out, you know, have kind of come full circle after quite long jail stretches. So it totally mm. depends. Like some of them have really messed up. Some of them from privileged backgrounds, some of them from underprivileged backgrounds. Some it's once and they've done it and they're leaving prison and they're good to go. And they will, you know, they won't stay at Social Pantry for long because they're, you know, yeah. they're off on their journey. And some actually really find it really hard to get back. We had a really lovely guy coming out of Brixton prison who was older um, and when we have somebody that, that it was through the clink, they let us know. So we went in. So I took at Social Pantry, you get buddied up. So I took Belle in with me because she came to meet him because she was going to be his buddy. And I took um, Nick at the time, who's our head chef, to meet him as well. Because ultimately, if you go in and see the guys before release, then you kind of understand it. Yeah, And he was, I think in his 50s, I think, safe to say. Um, so kind of we went and met him and he was really excited. And he baked us a cake and we kind of heard a bit about his story and he had kind of been in and out, but he was really kind of excited and determined to make a bit of a change. And it's definitely more challenging with the older, with the older people, I'd say, than the younger, slightly more, you know, malleable. Um, I suppose they're slightly resilient and yes. open to, easier to change the habits of somebody younger coming out of prison than it is somebody older. And so we went in and we met them. It was really inspiring for Bell and Nick. They loved it. So then on his first day, social pantry bell had we'd kind of got him a notebook with his initials on for his recipes and and he was absolutely brilliant and he did I'd say like four or five months like we got past the three month mark so when they get to three months their kind of mentor comes in so Liz who had linked us in with with him came and had a coffee and in the meeting room and he bakes a cake and they come and have a coffee and we kind of chat about how great you know how well they've done with Sylvia the charity or the mentor and then kind of their their internal buddy so it's a real kind of success point and he'd been doing brilliantly he'd done really well and then sure enough he kind of 
slightly he, he didn't turn up a couple of times and so we didn't hear from him and when somebody does that then when they come back in we just kind of say hey great great to have you back we really missed you and we just kind of carry on we don't really ask too right, many questions because okay. it's not like some it's not like a regular employee where you'd on you know you would kind of say like where on earth have you been you know that's unacceptable yes, with them yes the first few chances you just want to make them realize that you're not cross with them you're not you know you're not probation you're not the mm-hmm. judge you're not mm-hmm. you're not prison like it's okay you can come you know come back if you know because I suppose that often they're kind of battling a few things that you might not know about and yeah. and actually and then so we had a few a bit of a patchy time with him and then he did kind of fully fully not come back which was such a shame but and we heard that his um he had uh, the mother of his children who he wasn't allowed to see on his license actually he kind of got back in touch and moved back in with him so and that was against his license conditions so he'd obviously kind of been really struggling with that kind of head and heart kind of and what he was allowed to do and that kind of personal relationship so you know you can kind of set them off on a really good path and they can be you know really determined to change but there's often a lot of external influences that they kind of you know can't kind of can't prevent either contact them or reaching out or you know I suppose falling falling foul of again it's quite tricky. I remember speaking on this podcast Katie Emk who's the founder and director of the extraordinary social enterprise Fine Cell Work and Uh they do the embroidery with learning uh, teaching offenders to um ex-offenders and within the prison system though to um so and it's unbelievable the transformative effects of it and i can't remember the statistic now but it's something like 80 percent who then join the program outside of prison so Mm. they've left prison and they come and join that um sort of the next group so to speak and something like 80 percent of them will not re-offend it's the most incredible thing we'll actually go and get find they'll find jobs within society and 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 uh, find cell work help them I can imagine it's similar with food that you for some people you get to a point and maybe they go on their own way but for others that you get them to a point where they are able to be employed by others. Is that right? Yeah, definitely. And that's the aim. And I think for some of them, um, you know, doing a month or so, it's like a real success. And for some of them doing a couple of years is a real success. So people always ask me like, well, how many success stories? But it totally depends on the individual. Yes. And I think for us, it's about offering an opportunity um, and an experience. The opportunity is there for them to take. And that's where the hospitality industry is so good because they can join it having not you know, having not, um, with no skills, like they might well have mm. worked behind bars, but actually they also can, can join with nothing, just, you know, an attitude of, you know, a positive attitude and being able to work hard. That's kind of what I had when I started those kitchens kind of, you know, many years ago. And if you just, you know, can commit yourself and, um, then obviously you're going to, you know, you're going to rise up the ranks. You're going to, you know, you're going to kind of end up, yeah, with the right experience. Um, and also it, we've got a built a really lovely culture that people kind of really enjoy it. I kind of tempt them in being like, I'll give you a job and they often don't think I will like, I'll meet them in prison and I'll say honestly when you come out you know come and work with us so if they do kind of turn up then you know they, I'll, I'll say like just come for the free lunch because we do kind of star food so, so sometimes <laughs> they'll just turn up for the free lunch like it's so suspicious of what I'm thinking and then actually they're kind of like oh okay yeah all right okay yeah I'll come back yeah okay and so you know you've got to Incredible. kind of show them a different way of you know and that we're not we're the good people like it's okay you know mm. they, that they can come and get this experience but yeah there's been some amazing kind of prison leaders who we've worked with over over time and um yeah and some incredible stories which is great what's one of your most sort of successful stories so to speak yeah I think well one of the guys we've got at the moment's brilliant like Harvey he is fantastic so he left um I can't remember which prison he was in actually he's been with us um I think just over nine months and we are um he's always been really keen to learn which is really great so he's kind of asked for a few more hours he kind of started and he got really into it um so he's already kind of increased his days and he's full-time with us he's really passionate so he's kind of working with our head chef he's kind of mentoring him he's been involved in a few tastings he's off to visit the butcher with the team they're doing a supplier visit in a couple of weeks so he's kind of going on that um so that for him will just be such an insight as it will you know for the rest of the team um so I suppose it's kind of upskilling and learning and then we're doing a social supper at Somers- Somerset House I think it's 28th of March where we've got four of our prison leavers and four of our chefs and we put on a really big night at Somerset House for 85 people so it's open to the public buy tickets and so he's kind of been asked to kind of take part in that and I think he's doing the main course which is really exciting so yeah it's, I suppose he's just he's brilliant because he's 
you know, he wants to learn, he's passionate, he's kind of asking us as a business how he can develop. And that's where we then really need to deliver for him as a business. We need to say, okay, okay, perfect, X, Y, Z. And, you know, this is kind of where you'll get to. Here's your career mapping. And he will be with Social Pantry kind of, you know, well beyond a year and and beyond because, you know, we then, you know, we've got real trust. And actually he's not seen as a prison, he won't be seen as a prison leaver for too much longer. They then kind of after a year really blend into the regular, regular rotor um, and on events. And do you ever look back? Is it easy to, I suppose, you know, that they've come from prison? Do you, do you look at what they've, they were accused of or, or why they serve time? Is that yes. ever spoken about? Do Is that sort of like a, you know, we don't talk about that side of things because it must be just quite a hard um, world to navigate, supposed to, for them as well as everybody in your team who haven't been in prison. Yeah, definitely. So for us, um, it's over to them to disclose it. So we have to know um, from a legal point of view, but that's just mm-hmm. myself and the uh, Sylvia, our kind of HR and culture manager. So we'll know for insurance. I don't think we can't take on anybody with a, a crime for arson. Um, which yes. is something. And then um, we don't take anybody with a sexual crime. And that's just kind of our, our, our you know, policy or mm-hmm. kind of how I feel. So ultimately, if, proba- if the probation and judicial system says they're going to be released and they've served their time um, and, uh, then, and they're going back into society then why wouldn't we as a company offer them a role um and then it's over to them like over to them to disclose it some of them are quite proud and happy to talk about it um and some of them just want to crack on so it totally depends on but we would as a company we would never kind of explain that there's a prison lever starting um sometimes if there's a bit more management or they're on tag or there's a license sometimes it's quite obvious sometimes it's not obvious so it, it mm-hmm. and it's really down to the individual but we try and make it as as seamless as possible um but there is naturally there's a bit more support that comes with kind of employing a prison leaver. Yeah. And have you had backlash at all from have you in has it just been a positive experience in terms of not from the actual ex-offenders, but at people, I don't know, you giving opportunities to ex-offenders? H- have you had any backlash no, sometimes uh, back Good. back in the day, I like didn't um, I didn't want to tell anybody because we were such a small brand yeah. and we were still growing. Yes. And you know, some of these people we cater for are so high end, and I was thinking, oh god, don't let them know that kind of you know we've got to, you know because <laughs> also I don't know what their perception would be, but it would be naive to think that these guys might I don't know steal from you or something like that because they just wouldn't. They've come mm. such a long journey, and mm. but ultimately these guys do jobs at the units. Um, so Harvey actually has gone out on some events recently, which is like another steps they're kind of working off-site from our kind of production units right yeah that's really when you start becoming a non-prison leaver in our eyes because you've kind of progressed to the next step so Mm -hmm. really uh, you know the team often work at at base and that's where we've got really you know steady and stable management of them and that kind of works best so 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 yeah it's quite rare that they would kind of be on events or you know so so it was just yeah I, I suppose I just wasn't brave enough to kind of say it and I just didn't want to compromise the social pantry getting the getting the gig um but what's really nice is now that it's you know everybody supports it yeah (laughs) and now I'm like okay we've been doing it for so long and actually it's really great that we're recognized as like one of the leaders in like in the in the industry for kind of the employment or I suppose being slightly pioneering because it makes all that hard work worth it because it is a lot of hard work um and actually it yeah. does set us apart from our competitors and that now is really helpful. So we really, we, we definitely kind of emphasise it. And, and yeah. And what, what sort of percentage is it? Is, is, is it, I read 11%, is it? I think 11%, yeah, yeah. So I employ, um, I think this, yeah, I think at the moment we've got about 65 full-time staff. Yeah, so try right. and kind of keep Amazing. it around kind of 10, 11%. Yeah, and that's just a stat we set ourselves. Yeah. yeah, and I also think that what you were just saying there, you know, I speak to a lot of small businesses and I speak to a lot of founders and certainly, you know, things are crowded in many, many industries and trying to get that USP, that difference. And when it mm. comes from the, you know, you didn't do this for a marketing drive. This was what you wanted to do and you weren't yeah. telling anyone because no one should know. And then life you become stronger that comes part of your brand and Mm. lo and behold now you're one of the leaders in industry it's actually potentially why you get a lot of um potentially jobs because people want to do good we've got a whole esg drive going uh, across everything from corporate organizations etc etc and it does go to show you how that twist that change you know there you are 
it could have been just and you know I'm sure the the carrots you use I'm 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 just do not cook by the way so this is like out of my <laughs> comfort zone Alex but I'm just saying it could be the f- food produce that was your USP the change and difference and I'm sure yeah. it, of course you I've read oh I've just been on your website my god I'm salivating on apps and everything <laughs> I've seen but actually it was the staff you picked that that was the change yeah. And this is really encouraging when anyone listening to this, it's not necessarily the most obvious thing that needs to be your USP. You can start to bring in some of your own dreams and things that you care about, maybe outside of your business and industry, and then merge them into one, which ultimately creates something that's only you, Alex, you know, because that's yeah. ultimately, if you hadn't have done that, social pantry, the name, everything now fitting wouldn't exist. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's such a competitive market, like being a caterer, gosh, you know, it's tough. It's a tough industry and there are brilliant companies doing brilliant things, especially in London. It's, the competition is fierce and it's really slim margins. And we're all using really good suppliers. We're all mm. going for B Corp. Mm. We're all really sustainable. Like, mm. yes, it's, I think I think social pantry is. And obviously being biased, I think we're really a, a step ahead when it comes to sustainability. But um you know, I, I suppose you all have to be sustainable and have that zero waste mindset and all your practices. So, so everybody's doing that. So it's really, I suppose it's something that I'm quite proud of is, is the, you know, the prison leaver side, because actually that really sets us apart. So maybe it's a bit mm. of luck and a bit of, but, but there was that kind of passion there from the beginning, but I'm glad it's kind of being rewarded now because it is such hard work. And, you know, there's a lot of kind of time and energy that goes in that you can't measure to kind of supporting and endless prison visits. You know, there was a couple of my team visiting Danny in prison yesterday. So, more often than not, one of the team will be in prison, you know, once or twice a week visiting or doing talks and all of that. You can't really put a price on like that's proper budget um, that you yes. kind of have to allocate in, in, in an industry where the margins are quite tight anyway. So all of that kind of paying off is great that it's kind of conducive now to the bigger picture. Um, but I suppose it's great that we were kind of bold enough and brave enough to do it. And actually, I suppose that's where being a bit pioneering with it, that's kind of, I suppose, what's exciting about it is that, you know, not only can we deliver these incredible events um, for these terrifying customers, <laughs> you know, day in, day out. And, you know, the events team alone, we've got the contract catering team, the events team and then the site team and the events team alone will deliver 25 to 30 events a week so they're doing that which is oh my yeah it's really yeah so it's full-on and it's amazing but we're also you know we've also got this kind of bit of the brand you know underpinning the brand is this ex-offender so we've all got all of that going on whilst we're still doing it so it shows that it is possible amazing cafes and restaurants across London yeah. um, each yeah. as you said you know let's go back to the sustainability side because mm. you know not only have you got the ex-offender side to your business but you know you right from the beginning were dealing with zero waste policies and ethical mm. suppliers yeah. and social impact and you know the journey that you're on has seen real changes um, what you're producing and as you said leading the way it is such a fast paced area though, yeah. you know, to deal with. And, you know, I do feel sorry sometimes when people are held to such high oh. standards. Yeah. Um, yeah it's insane. And you, like, if you honestly, think about yeah. it 10 years ago, yeah. no one cared less. I mean, yeah, and yeah. now it's almost like people have to be, you know, literally at the top of the game, a hundred percent. You're oh, like, my God, yeah. at least I'm, I'm, you know, a, a million times better than anyone was 10 years ago. Isn't yeah. that the right step? What is that journey like been for you? This, the sustainability side and, and that, yeah. that pressure, I suppose. Yeah. On the sustainability side, I've kind of really welcomed it because I genuinely feel quite passionate about it. I get incredibly kind of, you know, worried that what we're doing isn't enough. And I'm sure lots of people have, you know, kind of concerned that, you know, as an individual or a household or as a business, you know, I'm sure they're aware that yeah. more could be done. So always been really passionate about it. But I suppose ultimately about three or four years ago, I brought in Nash, who's our sustainability consultant, and she's brilliant. She's the go-to for everything. She, We've kind of got a five-year roadmap, which we've set out online and we've kind of said, hey, we're I saw we're, that. I saw yeah. Where you want to be. I thought, what yeah. a great thing to do. Sorry to interrupt, but no, I, no. I literally looked at it and I thought, I'm going to do something like that because yeah. it's basically putting in place in front of everybody, mm. this is where we would like to go per year. I just yeah, think that exactly. was fantastically bold and brave and courageous of yeah. you to do that. 
And yeah, and some things are possible now and some things aren't possible because of budgets and restrictions and operational capacities and what works in a small cafe won't work across 40 events a week. And, yeah. you know, so, so, so there's so much that kind of goes in because one is, you know, saying, yes, we'll do this. But the other is then actually operationally implementing it and then consistently training and doing it and, you know, upskilling the staff. To, so there's so much that goes into it. But we've just filed for B Corp, actually, which is really exciting. And that will kind of put us ahead of the rest. You know, I suppose there's a handful of kind of food businesses in London that have got B Corp but I suppose that if Social Country gets it so fingers crossed we'll just certify us as going that you know we've kind of I suppose got to that level which shows we are really diligent across across all areas of the company so from kind of you know I suppose yeah yeah, it kind of covers off like staff welfare Mm. through to you know waste and kind of supply chain so there's so many areas to it but I suppose that's quite exciting but I suppose on the on the other side with the competition like it it, it's so fierce so it's just incredible kind of you know I suppose the industry has got all those brilliant operators and kind of ensuring that you're at the forefront of the food trends and at the forefront Mm. of kind of what you're doing is just so important like um I got back from Tokyo on Tuesday night and I had been there with my development chef and my exec chef so we went for a little we went for five days to go and look at food trends and kind of you know understand Japanese cuisine and I suppose ultimately kind of really get our heads around what do we think is kind of cool and up and coming Sarah our development chef went and worked at NOLA a couple of years ago and we're about to put another chef there with, with do a stage there so a stage is where one of our team go and work with them um, with another restaurant for a week so after a year in the social pantry kitchen an employee will go to silo in east east London and go and work there with Dougie He's a brilliant kind of pioneering zero waste um, kind of restaurateur. So so that kind of stage has been going for a number of years. But Sarah went to Helsinki to NOLA to go and work um, with with an incredible wow. kind of, yeah, pair of brothers, one called Albert. He's incredible. So Sarah went to Helsinki for a week. We obviously went to Tokyo last week. And there's, there's just a lot going on in terms of like, how do we kind of make sure that we're so different to these other caterers and actually yes. being cooler and more on it and like being a bit like, we're not like, we're not a board of directors that are all kind of suited and booted and, <laughs> lots of people have to make decisions we're just much more kind of you know we're a bit more nimble yes. we're a bit leaner it's ultimately you know a kind of a leadership team that makes decisions um and so it's pretty fast paced but it also it's quite exciting so there's there's just loads going on to kind of I suppose which which I suppose sets us apart from the rest yeah. and I think I think that sense of adventure kind of gets you there yeah I can imagine and is it more than just margins now or, or, or price at the moment so when you're going to go and pitch because I'm, I'm wondering like real life stuff yeah um you know it all boils down to money but yeah. does it nowadays because I think a lot of people you know are certainly the trend one well, trend it's not it's not a trend anymore but it, it's it's people are looking for um environment environmental, social governance, you know, they do have to tick those boxes now, which is fantastic because it means that actually it's not just about price. It's actually, is this company a B Corp? How do they treat their staff? This, so do you feel that now when you're pitching for something that that matters as much as price? Yes, I think so. I think um, on the event side, you've kind of, we've got a number of, you know, categories. You've kind of got your private events, you've got your corporate events, and you've got events that are held in venues, got your conferences. Um, And so they will have different kind of aims. But I do think the private clients, they do want to know that their money's being spent well. They potentially just Mm -hmm. don't have as much budget to work for, work work with. Um, So on the event side, the con- uh, like the corporate clients they do they do really ask but not all of them on the contract catering side so we're in-house at a law firm we have kind of tech companies that we f- like feed kind of four days a week or two days a week or once a month so we kind of have regular regular you know deliveries going out on the contract catering side they'll do about 100 drops a week so there's all sorts of offices being fed and I would say that kind of 80% of those clients obviously the repeat business comes because the product's good it's at the right price point yes. they love it you've got the right variety it's it's tasty and it's delivered on time um but initially the inquiries will come through because either the, they know about it from word of mouth and brand but or because the sustainability thing is a tick the box exercise yeah so yeah you're definitely the social and the sustainability definitely kind of gets you that level of I suppose level of inquiry converting the business and then retaining the business I suppose is the next step the next step and in, in, yeah in and that, that repeat but, custom yeah and I think that you what you've just described we can almost play to many industries actually so it'll be very very helpful Each week, I hand this ad break over to our partners at Royal Mail. And for any founders listening, if you've ever thought about expanding internationally and reaching a wider audience, they might well be able to help. 
Whether importing, exporting or simply thinking about sending to customers overseas, Royal Mail can help deliver parcels safely to Europe and beyond. In fact, they operate international postage services to over 230 countries and territories. They also have a range of services to choose from. There's a great value standard service, Tracked, for peace of mind or Tracked and Signed if you're sending valuable and sensitive items. And through click and drop, it's easier than ever. You can keep track of shipped items, print post labels for free, and even get everything collected through the Parcel Collect service or drop it off at one of thousands of drop-off points. So if you're thinking about growing your business overseas, head to the Royal Mail Small Business Hub to see how they can help. Now, back to this week's Conversation of Inspiration. How do you deal with, so I, I mean, I don't cook and and um, even the idea, so we had a shop for about seven years and, you know, even getting a coffee out would freak me out completely. <laughs> so I can deal with like retail and, you know, I can deal yeah. with all of that. That doesn't, you know, and it's all each to our own that, you know, that doesn't even worry yeah, me exactly. in the slightest. That would terrify me. Yeah, yeah. In the slightest. <laughs> Getting a plate of food out to anybody, I would rather, yeah, I would rather pull out my eyelashes. So um, you've had celebrity clients, as I said, Mm. Rihanna, David Attenborough, and the list goes on. And you meticulously plan everything, creative table settings, ambience, uh, exquisite looking food. You must have had Mm -hmm. some pretty intense requests over the years that you've been working. I mean, firstly, how do you deal? Does that not scare you? just what I just even said, does that sort of pressure? Because it, it makes me <laughs> even tongue-tied to even speak to you about it. I know, I know, yeah. I mean, in reality, yeah, like, yeah, if I was to stop and think about it all, then of course, but it's, I never want to kind of like stop and kind of think, oh gosh, look at it. It's all just going, it's emotion. And also it's so, like, it's, it is relentless. Like on, at Christmas day, we did two, two private houses. Um, so like <laughs> there's, there's teams working the whole time um, across, sites across events so it does just keep on going and um, but you build up to that stage I suppose yeah. and you kind of you know your your confidence builds your confidence gets knocked you make mistakes you make bigger mistakes you then don't make those big mistakes again and you keep learning you yeah you know hire the, the right people you hire the wrong people so it's such a journey I suppose it's kind of just making it like really exquisite and so memorable like you want to kind of you want to say it's a wedding so we do kind of incredible weddings and you know an amazing wedding we recently did at Blenheim Palace was absolutely stunning but it's just making it making it so memorable and that's what's hard you've got to kind of really stand out so whether you're collaborating with a beauty brand and they want kind of pantones of their blusher and the macaroons to kind of match that you know or kind of um you know iced tea to be in the pantones of you know some lipsticks like there's all sorts of on the brand activation of brand elements and then you've got kind of conferences where you've got three thousand people and you need them all fed within 45 minutes but they want big food stations and they they need that all to be really sustainable and you know or that you've kind of got, I suppose, National Portrait Gallery um, is an incredible one. We kind of did the opening there when they reopened in July. And that was an, an incredible lineup of guests who were so, so, so famous. I was putting out the place, and I'm a bit bad with famous people. I don't really know who they are. I was putting out the place cards and I was like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. It was absolutely insane. So like, they, you just have to trust me when I was like, oh my goodness, they were all kind of wildly next level of famous. I think maybe there's like six Glastonbury headliners there. I was like, okay, this is, this is proper. So it was really amazing. So there's different kind of, you know, you might work in different galleries or um, venues. So, yeah, it, it is incredible. But the complexities come to kind of running it all. But I've got a great MD, Holly, who kind of puts all the processes in place and ensures that there's that kind of smooth running. Um, and then it all wow. ideally goes without that. She a has got one serious yeah, yeah, job, yeah. hasn't she? <laughs> You've been doing this for 13, I think you're on your 13th year. And yeah. You must be very, very proud of what you've created from that moment that the pizzeria shut down and you had your sliding doors moment. You decided to go for it. How do you personally keep going? How, how what's your, is this forever? Yeah. What's, is this your, what are your dreams that you want to do with this business? And, and has it, um, you made of harder stuff now in your 13th year? 
Yeah, I think so. Like, it's definitely like super challenging. Um, you kind of, I think, I mean, I'm sure, as you know so well, like there's, it's all all consuming um, and it's, it's yeah, it, it's so challenging. I think, I suppose when I was a bit, as a smaller business, I was kind of thought, oh gosh, I just want to get to that size or that's really aspirational or actually that business, you know, inspires me or that person or um, I want to be able to work with that brand. And actually, as you, you know, you kind of get and overcome those or go past those steps, you kind of think like, gosh, you know, it is exciting, but also the challenges become more intense. Um, I suppose it's a bigger business to run. Um, so the pressures that come with that, it's kind of trying to maintain a bit of balance and making sure that you kind of, you know, got the right headspace. But yeah, it's definitely challenging. It's not a forever business. There's um, a little plan in place, but, um, you know, post COVID, it's just making sure that we're kind of maintaining that kind of really strong and steady path. Um, and I think whilst we're still quite pioneering and slightly shaking up the event scene and that, you know, new, new kid on the block, I think we still, that there's still quite a lot to achieve. I think for me, it's not about trying, you know, I suppose once you get hit a bit of a level or a plateau slightly, then it's much, much harder, I'd say, to kind of maintain that lead. At the Mm. moment, there's some surreal big guys that we're kind of, you know, up against. um, And that makes it quite exciting, that challenge. So yeah, couple more years. So even then, 13 years on, you're still seen as a new kid on the block? Well, I think now we're kind of, we've just gone from kind of being that female founded kind of small, mm-hmm. you know, female led caterer to now we're quite a heavy hitter. So I think in the last year, we, I suppose COVID wiped out a few years, but yeah. we, um, yeah, I think I got investment in 2019, which made it kind of really, you know, mm-hmm. g- grow up as a business. And then, What was that experience like? Yeah, it was good, actually. Yeah, it's good. Got some great investors. They're, they're brilliant. So that's been really, really positive so far. Now we're kind of on a lot of the, you know, big London venue lists. And that's quite exciting. We've actually just won a, a, an exclusive venue. I think we were allowed to talk about it in March, I think, um, that, that we've got a really big venue launch happening in March, which is really exciting. And that's a bit of a game changer for us. So there's still a few a few things oh. going on that make it exciting. Um, do, you and feel, then- do you feel as as pumped as you did when you began it? Uh, no, probably, <laughs> probably quite tired. Um, it's definitely hard. Just a little bit tired. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, are you just a hundred, hundred events on a week and I Christmas know. Everyone's Day? Like, you and- must, you must love it. I'm like, yeah, I love it still. Oh, um, no, I kind of there's there's bits that I kind of love and there's bits that I find really challenging. So I'm I'm pretty naughty that I bits that I don't really love about it. I've got really good people in place to do those. Mm-hmm. The bits not I'm not naughty, good at. Naughty, smart, fantastically yeah, bit, smart. Yeah, I can I can easily shy away from something that I don't want to do because I've got a quite a capable team. But then it's about no, I suppose knowing my strengths. Over the years, I've kind of learned out what learned what mm-hmm. I'm good at and what I'm really rubbish at, and not not and great at a lot okay of it. it. So it, yeah, it's trying to like stay in my lane of knowing what I'm good at and not, not annoy the team too much. <laughs> Stop getting involved <laughs> in bits they don't need. They don't need me in it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Well, this is, podcast has just been awesome. I have learned so much about your industry. I've learned so much about you. I absolutely love the good that you are putting out there. On this um, podcast, you might know that we ask our wonderful founders the highs and lows. So we liken it to being on a roller coaster. Mm. What would you say when you have had that sickness feeling in your stomach and you're at that pit of the roller coaster, can you name a time that's been a bigger slow? Oh gosh! Oh, I think probably COVID as a as a business yeah. owner, COVID was just rubbish. Um, really difficult, kind of seeing all the well, hard in your work. Industry, you... I can imagine it was completely nothing yeah. was happening. No. Yeah, exactly. So there's just that, I suppose it wasn't that instant stomach sinking feeling. I've had that stomach sinking feeling a number of times, like so many times to mention that when we've forgotten something <laughs> crucial or like, you know, bug it up or, you know, oh, you know, there's yeah. that, that, that's like, you know, that becomes less regular. But over the years, there's definitely been that like, oh no. I do remember actually parking somewhere illegal and the van, seeing the van being towed away with the whole event in and me thinking, <gasps> oh no, I should have read the sign. <laughs> and off it went down to like, back end of Morden or somewhere and I mean thinking oh no that's really really silly so yeah there's kind of you know along the way but I think in terms of like a big picture that Covid is probably that like oh what how did you get through Covid what do we do so I went into it um with about 110 employees so kind of that was really difficult we yeah closed the closed the number of sites um kind of 
rejigged, put people on furlough, kind of, I suppose, you know, tried to make the right decisions. And we packed so many hampers, Holly. I tell you, if I ever see a hamper, like at one point, I think one of my team, um, Amazon had thought she was, um, I can't remember, thought she was a wholesaler for Kilner jars because we were ordering so many <laughs> tens of thousands of Kilner jars for like kind of posh hampers to be sent out. So yeah, it was unbelievable. So like, you I remember- pivoted pivoted but we're pretty resilient as like people in an industry so we did Mm -hmm. but we we had to kind of yeah downsize and then rejigged a few things exited you know exited sites or contracts or and then kind of built up again kept some brilliant people in the team so when it was all kind of good to go then then kind of inflated again and inflated again yeah thank goodness thank goodness and a high would you say what's a high i'd say Oh, live it! Uh, we've recently just won a really big contract, and that was great. We've just won an exclusive contract, which be uh, uh, we'll talk about it in March, which is exciting. Um, and that was a real like, oh, I'm really yeah thrilled that we've kind of been given this opportunity because I think we're kind of really well positioned to deliver um, and make the most of the opportunity. Um, so yeah, I think that was. Oh, a I real can't high. wait to hear. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll inv- yeah, I'll invite you to launch. Yeah, oh, yeah. There's God, yeah, there'll be all sorts all sorts I... of activity around oh, it. I would love that. I would love that. You have just been brilliant. You've really energised me. And I really, I'm going to really think about how you brought uh, a unique twist into your company and what that's really meant for the, the entire sort of brand that you've built now. And it's so fascinating. And it actually came down to your heart, you know, your good heart mm. um, and actually being a good person, even though, you know, you might have been a little bit naughty with some uh, some dessert mix. Um, you know, <laughs> it's <laughs> you can't look at desserts the same way, I'm sure. I know, um, that angel I'm, whip. Yeah, That <laughs> angel whip. You, you need to have that as a specialised uh, option on one of your menus, you know, <laughs> Alex's <laughs> Angel Whip. Can I ask you um, to read a letter to your younger self? I don't know what you're going to say. Um, I'm wondering what age you might have picked um, your younger self to be. But this is the moment I hand over to you. And just thank you, Alex, so much for being on Conversations of Inspiration. No, Holly, thank you so much. I'm obviously like absolutely thrilled to be part of it. Like you're you're super, so kind and to listen to me for so long. That was really, really kind. Oh, it's my pleasure. Okay, so I've written that. Yeah, I suppose I had to kind of, yeah, really think about this. So, dear Alex, your mum dying when you were just 19 will be the most impactful and painful event of your life. But what she taught you in her short and wonderful life will be etched in your memory and carry you through for the rest of your years. You'll be independent and fending for yourself from quite a young age. You'll get so much of it wrong, but you'll also get some of it right. You'll get through it. You'll keep learning and you'll keep growing as a person. Well done for holding it down through a really tough time. Well done for not ending up in prison. People will openly express that they were not quite sure which way you'd go. Just take that as a compliment that you will never, ever have been boring. You won't lose your sense of adventure. Your determination, your want to push the boundaries will not fade despite the challenges and setbacks. You'll explore, you'll travel and you'll keep life exciting. You'll learn that you need to give yourself a break sometimes and realise that finding a balance is key to your mental health. Use a therapist, download the apps and book a holiday when you need the headspace. Enjoy the blowouts, but try not to party too hard. And remember, nothing good happens after midnight. You'll start a successful business. Please don't be scared to ask the questions. You're not meant to know it all and you definitely can't wing it. Get a mentor and listen to the good people around you. Running your business will test you beyond anything imaginable, but it'll also give you an incredible opportunity and you'll inspire a few people along the way. Your drive will mean it's easy to make quick decisions. You'll be operating at such a pace. Remember to be patient with those around you. Take time to stop, pause and put boundaries in place. You'll employ some brilliant, talented and kind people over the years. Some of them will understand you and some of them won't but you won't be able to win them all. So don't take it personally. And the sooner the better you learn to shake it off, the better. You'll feel every single knock beyond what people realise, but please try and enjoy the ride, relax into it and sometimes say well done to yourself. When you look back on your business journey, you'll realise your naivety set you off, your determination kept you going and your hard work will mean you succeed. Your family will be your rock, your siblings endlessly supportive. You'll find someone amazing to marry and your kids will complete you. But watch out as your kids will be miniature versions of yourself, making being a mum one of the hardest jobs in the world. 
Your work's so incredibly hard, so enjoy the small wins. Be kind to yourself. Don't sweat the small stuff. And my last piece of advice is enjoy it as it'll be over in a flash. Alex, thank you so much for that. That was just, and I'm so sorry that you lost your mum so early on. So sorry. And she will be so proud of you and everything that you're doing. My son's 19, so I can just uh, only imagine your pain. And um, yeah, what what an incredible woman you are and and keep shining the light for us all to follow. I will. And um, we'll all be looking forward to whatever it is in March and we'll be cheering you on. Um, And I'll just be forever grateful that I never have to cater for a (laughs) hundred events a a week. (laughs) Thank you so much, Alex. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining me today. If you've enjoyed this episode, can I ask that you share it with a friend and like, subscribe and review it too, so that together we can inspire even more people to follow their dreams, to build a life they love. Mm